There are two narratives, two narratives with which we can make sense of the world around us, the history of this world and where we fit in it. The first is random, that everything is here by chance and accidental. The spinning of the universe into place and the crawling of the creatures has brought us here accidentally. It is all random. And if that's the case, life is actually functionally meaningless, if you're going to be honest about it. And behind that is the idea that there is no such thing as a god. The other, the other narrative is that all of this is intended, that there is some design behind it, some purpose. Actually, most people buy into that because they want to believe that there's meaning and purpose in life. And it seems as if there's intention and design. But of course, if there is design, and if there is a designer, then there is a God. And if there is design and a purpose and a God, then we must know him to know purpose, to understand meaning, to have direction in life. And if we are to know God, and there is a God, we should actually know him as he has revealed himself not as we tend to do, which is how I like to think of God. If there is a God, he reveals himself. One of the beauties of a lessons and carols service, which we have just walked through the first portion of, is that it allows us to walk through the trajectory of God's purposes in and for creation and through history. And so it's helpful actually to walk through it again in a, in a little bit of a visual to give us some order uh, to think about this, to see what the Bible lays out as God's purposes for creation and how it builds up to Jesus. So I actually have a, a couple of volunteers that I've uh, conscripted already, so I don't know if that's a volunteer. Um, so my six, if you guys would come on down here. Luke, can you go to that end? That end uh, right here, right here. Okay, side by side. There you go. You here. And you over there. Okay, here we go. This will all make sense. Stand right there, hold together. Okay. Here we go. And boys down there. Okay. So here's the story. Let's lay it out again more simply. God creates Adam and Eve in the garden. He calls them together to know each other and to know God. They are called to be in relationship with him, and they are called to multiply and fill the earth. They are given a calling and a vocation in life, but they eat of the fruit, and in doing so, they reject God. They turn their backs on God, turn around, <laughs> and they are separated from each other and from God. As a result, the fall, the break of everything comes to pass in this creation. And we live in a world that is this side of the fall. The broken relationship with one another because of the broken relationship with God. But out of that darkness, God calls a man, Abram or Abraham, and says, you, through you, I will bless the nations of the earth. And he calls Abraham to follow him. And in doing so, he gives this promise that he will multiply his generations and that through his generations, the entire world will be blessed. In other words, everyone will see and know God because of this man and his children. But it seems like for hundreds of years, God is not acting. And especially in the story of the Exodus, as the people are in slavery for hundreds of years, crying out, God, you made a promise to us to make us a nation. Where are you? But God answers, doesn't he? 
and he sends Moses to redeem them out of that darkness and slavery. And then a nation is birthed in Israel, and out of that nation comes a king, a chosen one, David, who is not a great guy, but is a man after God's own heart. <laughs> he is sinful, but he is humble, and he admits his faults. And God says, David, through you and your generations, through you and your generations, I will bring about my kingdom purposes, and your kingdom will never end. Hear that, your kingdom will never end. And there were kings after him, but it didn't seem to take place the way that God promised. Because king upon king fell further and further away from God and his purposes. And the nation of Israel fell into idolatry, following after other gods. Rather than extending mercy to the poor, they were hoarding. There was no justice, just religion. And they fell into further and further darkness. And God sent the prophets to call them out, to repent and turn from their sin. Because judgment was coming. But in the midst of the voice of judgment, God gave promise. Hundreds of years before Jesus, God gives promises that he will send a redeemer. He will bring a way forward to bring all of this to pass, everything he's intended for all of creation. And yet, for hundreds of years, the people wait in darkness, longing for God to intervene, for God to step in and do something, and it doesn't seem like he's answering his promise of hope. Okay, you guys can go head down. Oh wait, leave your cards here. So into the midst of this, that longing for God to answer his promises, Isaiah gives a promise in Isaiah 9-2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. To dwell in darkness is to be apart from God, to be fully under the weight of evil and sin. People everywhere saying, we are in darkness, and out of that darkness, God breaks in with light. Israel, for hundreds of years, was looking for a king and a kingdom and a new regime, but instead, God enters in a baby. The world seems like a random and dangerous place. I grew up in the 70s and 80s, and I actually had a very real fear of Soviet invasion or of nuclear holocaust. As a 10, 11-year-old, I was very afraid it was going to happen. Today is no different. We are, filled with a world, we are in a world filled with fear and a lot of chaos, it seems. ISIS, Ebola, Putin, Hillary, Donald, or more personally, cancer. The fear that you will be unmarried, never have children. The fear that you'll get towards the end and not have enough money saved up, and then what? The deathly fear that you will post something and nobody will like it. Behind all of our anxieties, whether they are global or personal, is a desire to be well, to be happy, to be satisfied, to be at peace. 
And beneath all of our fears is the seeming chance and chaos of a fallen and evil world. It actually seems like no one's behind the wheel. And when we feel that way, we end up trying to take control. I've got to be in control of my safety, my health, my financial security, my kids' happiness. But as any of us know who have lived a few years, the reality is you can't control it. Your health, your financial safety, your kids' happiness. We are not sovereign. Only God is. And besides that, most of our fears are misplaced because most of our fears are in externals and in circumstances. And the things that God deals with are heart issues. Genesis 3.8 is perhaps the saddest phrase ever written in human history. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. Adam and Eve were intended, designed, to walk with God, to live in the presence of God, to be fully in the face of God, and to be fully whole themselves. But they, they turn their back on God. So the true problem in this world is not ISIS or cancer or the wrong president. It's not all these other things we point to. It's being apart from God. It's hiding from him, and we do that in very clear ways by trying to be our own God, trying to be in control, trying to save ourselves through our lifestyle. The problem in the world is here. And the good news of this long story of redemption is that the God who works throughout history cares about you. His intention all along is for you to know him. That is the purpose and meaning of life. And he's been working all of history to reveal himself to you and to me. In Micah 5.2, Micah gives this promise. In Micah 5, not 2, 5.5, and he shall be their peace. This is the promise in uh, that a, a child will be born out of Bethlehem. And then at the end of it, it comes and says, this one who will be born, this ruler, this king, he shall be their peace. Now, if you were in Israel in 700 BC or even in the day of Jesus, and you heard this phrase being read in the synagogue, your thought would have been this. Yes, victory. Victory is coming. The word peace there meant to that early era, victory. God will come and will wipe away all of our enemies, drive them out. See, what Israel was looking for was an actual king and a kingdom. But that's not what God was intending, at least not the way they were looking for it. And very often that's the case. We're looking for a definition of peace. We're looking for peace in sources that God is not pointing us to. Where do you look for peace? Sound investments, a solid career. Again, even going back to the president thing, many of us still think if the right person is there, it will all be okay.
how do you find your peace? Being nice to people? A good family man? Some sort of karmic balance? If I do enough good things, there will be an equilibrium, like the force being at that level place? We are very often going around trying to control our world and our lives. We're trying to secure our own peace. And when we try to secure our own peace, it's just another way of hiding from God. It's avoiding him by being our own savior. The Bible is clear. Even religiousness and goodness cannot get you peace with God. Hear instead what the phrase says. Micah 5.5, he shall be our peace. Think about that. He shall be our peace. That word peace is a Hebrew word, shalom. We've talked about it here before. It doesn't just mean the cessation of war and battle. Peace in a biblical sense, shalom in a biblical sense, is one of the richest words ever created. It means wholeness and harmony, things as they are meant to be. It is being right with others, right with ourselves, because we are right with God. And Micah 5.5 assures us, when the Lord comes, he will be our peace. He will right us with himself. He will make us whole again. But of course, when he did come, it was in a rather concerning, disconcerting sort of way. It wasn't the way we wanted him to come. He comes in a manger and on a cross. In the manger, it is God with us, Emmanuel. Here's the idea. We hid from God. God comes to find us. And when he does, he goes to a no-name place, the sort of place no one is looking for. Bethlehem Ephrathah is like saying Huntington, West Virginia. What good can come out of that? Oh, that's Corky's hometown. (laughs) And it's a step further than that. It's, oh, there is a teenage pregnancy and a father who's a construction worker in Huntington, West Virginia. There's your peace, that baby. But it tells us God is searching for us, and he wants us to see him in that unlikely place of the manger. And not just in the manger, God with us, but on the cross, God for us. You see, on the cross, Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, becomes Ichabod. Ichabod means the glory of the Lord has departed. He who was God hangs on the cross and says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The Lord God drives him out from his presence, exiles him, expels him, which is our curse, our deserving. He expels Jesus so that we can be brought near, so we can return to the garden, so we can enter the presence of God once again. the whole story climaxes in a feeding trough and a gallows. Why does God choose to do it that way? I think it's especially clear he wants us to let go of control, to stop playing God, 
and to trust him. To realize that we need him, to admit that we reject him, that we need forgiveness and we need a savior. The story is clear. The prophets are clear. True shalom is found. True shalom is found when you find the God of the manger and the cross, or rather, actually, when he finds you. When you find that, no matter what happens in history or in your life, because you are with God and your peace is from God, you're able to face anything. No more fears of what might happen in this world or in your life. When you have peace with God, you have what you need. In a Caring Bridge post on October 16th, Holly Berry, one of our own, shared about finding God's peace even in rough waters. And here's what she wrote. Psalm 77, 19 says, Your way was in the sea, and your paths in the mighty waters. Not every path God makes is the green valleys all the time. But I believe that even in the mighty waters, there can be peace. Mighty waters in God's hands are not riddled with chaos or unforeseen circumstances. God is not overwhelmed by life's tragedies and sufferings. Mighty waters might be part of the plan. They might feel chaotic to us, but they were written in our books before time began. They are God using things intended for evil and making them good using mighty waters to transform sharp, jagged rocks into smooth stones. And so we remember that the times in the green valleys and the times he's delivered us out of the mighty waters, and we remember that he is God, and then we know peace. We need to remember this. No matter what happens in our life, the God of the Bible who purposes all things works in eons, not in Snapchats. The promises of God in Scripture are not for ease and prosperity, not for what I want right now, but to work out His purposes in creation, in history, and yes, in your life and in mine. In Genesis 3.9, God calls out to Adam, and he says, where are you? Where are you? Adam and Eve hid themselves from the face of the Lord, and God pursues them. He knows where they are, but he calls out to them like a gentle, loving father. Where are you, son? Where are you, daughter? God does the same with every one of us. He is calling to us, where are you? You may not be looking for him. You may even be hiding. And let me tell you, church is actually a great place to hide from God. You look very religious. You show up every week. No one's going to suspect anything. But God knows. He knows what's at your heart. He's calling. He doesn't want your religiousness. He wants you. He's calling. 
Christmas is actually a great time to begin to hear him. And all those things that are nostalgic and joyful, the carols and the lights and the tree and the food, those nostalgia and joyful things may actually be God calling to you, saying, I'm here, where are you? Don't miss out on it this week. St. Augustine wrote in his confessions, his autobiography, Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. We are made for God, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest, its peace in God. The God who made all things, who works in all of history, designed you and me to walk with him, to experience his shalom. But you can only know true peace if Christ, the one in the manger and on the cross, is your peace. Let's pray. God, in the birth of your son, you claim that it is the God of the universe come to fulfill the long promises of Scripture and to offer to us yourself to make peace with us through your death on the cross, to reveal yourself to us, to restore us to you. Open our hearts, Lord, so that we might find rest in you. Amen. split.